Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Good morning. Man, it's been a great morning already. Worship was so incredible. That testimony, absolutely amazing. Can we give God some praise for that testimony one more time? All right, so as the video said, we're going to begin a series for the month of January that coincides with this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so this morning, I want to begin that series by talking to you on the topic, In Pursuit of the One Thing. In Pursuit of the One Thing. Turn to somebody and say, One Thing. When I think about that phrase, I'm reminded of David. He said, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David knew the one thing. So as we get started this morning, will you just join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. (laughs) We thank you, God, that we don't just have a book that is ages and centuries old that we just read, but we can actually experience the truth and the stories in this book. God, we we experience your presence. Even though you are not physically here, we can tangibly experience you. God, you don't leave us as orphans. You fill us with your spirit. So God, we pray that you would breathe fresh upon your word this morning. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, not just our minds, but Father, I pray that it would come into our ears enter into our minds, but Father, it would find its place in our hearts, Lord. We just open up to you in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. And so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. See, if we were to ask the question, What is 21 days of fasting and prayer about? I believe that the answer to that would be in pursuit of the one thing. Now, I I just want to make a note that uh, we had a meeting earlier or later towards the end of last year with our elders and leadership team. And one of the things that we really wanted to do this year, and I know this sounds kind of different, but we're going to post the reference to the scripture. But we really want to encourage you to bring God's word with you. Here. The purpose of this is not to be petty. It's not like, we're, well, we're just going to refuse. No, we want you to bring your word because we're living in a day where it's not okay for the only time for you to visually see the word is on a Sunday morning projected on a screen. This is something we need every single day. And this is something that's very easy to get out of the habit of because of how uh, technologically uh, we are just advanced and we're able to do things. So the, this purpose is just so that you have a reference point, but that you open the scriptures yourself and you read it yourself. So I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation for this passage. Jesus is in a town called Bethany, and he has arrived in the household of friends. Martha and Mary and Lazarus, if you know the story of Lazarus, Lazarus dies and he is, uh, he is resurrected from the dead. 
but he has an ongoing relationship with these brothers and sisters. And so he arrives in the household, and as it says in the scripture, in verse 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. And listen to this description. Mary sat down attentively before her master, absorbing every revelation he shared. My New American Standard translation says, she was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Verse 40 says, but Martha became exasperated. It's an underutilized word these days, but it's probably what most parents with young kids feel on a daily basis. But exasperated simply means they were, she was irritated and agitated, frustrated with finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. Have you ever had people show up the house and you're not done with the chores yet? And you want to be like, hey, can you come back in another 10 minutes? Let me clean the house before you actually enter in. So Mary has a house full of people, including Jesus, and she's still not done with all of the chores. So she's frustrated. So she interrupts Jesus, mind you, while he is sharing revelations with Mary. He interrupts Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. Okay, let me just say something. What a perfect example of a sibling relationship. I can't make you do anything. You irritate me all the time. So I'm going to try to work uh, toward, I'm going to try to work against you by getting the one who has more authority than me to get you to help me. How many of you have ever done that with your siblings? It's like, I keep on trying to get my brother and sister to help me, but they won't. Mom, dad, can you make them do what, what I've been trying to do, tell them to do the whole time? It's a perfect example of a sibling relationship, but she's frustrated and she's, she's frustrated not necessarily, I believe, because of Mary, but she's frustrated because of her internal dialogue. Okay, you don't, just, you don't just get to the point where you interrupt Jesus in the middle of him sharing revelations with Mary. This has been uh, in the crock pot, per se. How many, of you, how many of you have ever been in that moment where you are just in the midst of being overwhelmed, whelmed, and, and you start to play the blame game. Why aren't they helping me? Why? And you're not, you're not lashing out yet. It's just bubbling up. This is where Martha is. And she says, you tell her to come and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha. You know, Jesus wasn't upset by how busy she was. He wasn't mad at her because she was, uh, overwhelmed by all of the chores. But let me just say something here. Why does it take you and I to get points where we're so frustrated and so angry? We finally get to Jesus just to hear that. Because if she would have sat next to Mary, she would have heard that from the beginning. My beloved Martha, it goes on to say, why are you upset and troubled? Now watch this. 
pulled away by all these many distractions. Mary has discovered the one thing. And that one thing is most important by choosing to sit at my feet. And I want you to listen to this next line. Jesus said of Mary, she is undistracted. You're distracted. She's undistracted. And I won't take this privilege from her. In other words, you want me to tell her to get up to help you, but you don't understand what's happening while she's sitting at my feet. And I'm not going to interrupt the revelation she's hearing and what's happening in her heart for you to get up and, get, and help you with the chores. A couple points here that I want to speak on. Number one, even the daily duties of our lives can become distractions. Even the daily duties can become distractions. We have so much in our lives that is happening on a daily basis. Matter of fact, there may be some people in the room that are typing up in their notes the things they have to get done before Monday right now. Even the daily duties can become distractions in our relationship with Jesus. Even though they may seem necessary, they can become distractions. Listen to me this morning. Every one of us has tons of things on a daily basis that we need to do. We have deadlines. We have chores. We have people that need our time and energy. But even these things can become distractions. Jesus said, you are pulled away by distractions. What Martha called chores, Jesus called distractions. Why? Because anything that can pull us away from the one thing that our spirits really need then becomes a distraction. Can I tell you that at their core, the chores were not a bad thing. They weren't a distraction, but they became a distraction to Martha because they were pulling her away from the one thing. See, I've got things in my life that can be the distractions. I've got things in my life that I prioritize. I've got things that I want. I've got things that I think I need. But in, in and of themselves, they are not bad. They are at their core not bad. But they become distractions when they become the things that pull you away from the one thing. And in this story, we see that. See, we can believe that what we need is to get our to-do list done. We can believe that what our soul needs is to get the house clean, the bills paid, the food made, the work accomplished, the workout finished, the book read, the show watched, the game played. But listen to me, if we get all of that done, but we still do not choose the one thing that Mary chose, then we will still be found longing, looking, and wanting more because we have traded what our souls really need need for temporary fixes. It feels good to get the to-do list done. It feels good to accomplish things. It feels good to lay my head on my pillow and feel like I killed it today. I accomplished it today. But did you have the one thing on the top of your list? Or was it the last thing that never happened because of everything else? And he said, Martha, you haven't chosen the one thing. By the way, all of those things are good things, but I'm telling you, the reason why you're so frustrated 
It's because you put chores above sitting at my feet. Let me just add this because I feel like we need to talk about this. In light of the Instagram social media world where we're constantly comparing ourselves to every other single person, we cultivate an internal pressure that this is how I'm supposed to live out my life. I need to have my stuff together. I need to have my chores done. I need to have my house clean. I need to have all of these things in place. If I'm not doing that, I'm not winning. I'm not being successful. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do because we are measuring ourselves among other people. Can I just say, we don't see in this narrative that Jesus ever told Martha to get the chores done. Isn't it interesting? She invited him into the house and the moment he gets in the house, now she's too busy for him. How quickly can we go back and forth? She is undistracted and I won't take this privilege. Another word there is honor from her. It's an honor to sit at Jesus' feet. It's an honor to hear him speak. It's an honor for him to share his revelation with all of us. And I want you to, re- I want you to get this. Why did Jesus say, why did Jesus say this? He said, I will not take this privilege from her. Why did Jesus say that? Why did he do it? Let me just tell you why. The reason why Jesus would not take Mary's time at his feet, listening to his every word from her, is because that is the same thing that sustained Jesus in the wilderness when he was fasting. The reason why he wouldn't say, you know what, you need to help your sister, is because he knew what was happening in Mary's heart when she was getting fed from God's word. Because that's the same thing that happened in the wilderness when Jesus was without food. What was he doing? He was sitting at the feet of his father getting his soul fed. This is why Jesus came to the conclusion that man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You don't think that was happening in Jesus's heart in the wilderness when he had no food? You don't think he was sitting at his father's feet being ministered to by what his father was continuing to speak to him? And he said, I'm not taking that from Mary because this is the one thing she needs. Martha, this is what you need too. You need to sit at my feet, receive revelation, and every word that proceeds from my mouth will sustain you in the same way that it sustained me in the wilderness. And I'm not taking that from you because it's a privilege and an honor to sit at his feet. Do not ever take for granted the privilege of sitting at Jesus' feet. It's a privilege to experience God's presence. Jesus said she's discovered the one thing Can I tell you something? That if you only sit at Jesus' feet one time, you won't discover the one thing. It gets discovered as you stay. It's not a five-minute thing on the to-do list. I I read 15 verses today. It becomes the one thing as you stay at his feet. And it goes on to say, I will not take this from her. She is undistracted. It's an honor for her to be able to sit here. So what does this have to do with our 21 days of prayer and fasting? 
I believe that the purpose of our 21 days in fasting, of prayer and fasting, is the pursuit of the one thing that Mary discovered. It's sitting at his feet. It's the pursuit of the one thing that is most important. It's the laying down of our normal agendas to sit at Jesus' feet. And I would expect by this time, after hearing that, there, there will be more amens in the crowd. It's the one thing that we're after. It's setting aside 21 days to be at his feet in a way that is more intentional and on purpose. It's the laying down of our normal agenda. It's leaning in to lay a hold of what Jesus is speaking. It's the honor and privilege of spending time with Jesus. It's beholding him and loving him. If I could sum up our 21 days of prayer and fasting, it is the practice of giving God our utmost focus and attention. If you're like me, a lot of times what can happen is we read and we pray and we listen to, listen to a couple of songs and we check it off the list saying, I've done it today. But as you have done that, have you heard him speak? Have, has there been a revelation? I'm not saying that happens all the time, but I'm just saying we can be so quick to make it a mode and a thing that we just check off. This time is giving God our utmost focus and attention. See, on this topic, Pastor Chris Hodges uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, Church of the Highlands, he said this, what you fast is not as important as the strength of your focus on God as you fast. This is so important because as we enter into this time, what you fast matters, but it does not matter in your fast if when you are doing it, you're still distracted from the one thing that really matters. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, we, and by the way, the reason why this is important because this is what Jesus called out with all of the Jewish spiritual leaders that were in the habit of fasting. They were doing the practice, but their focus was not on him. Their focus was on boasting on what they had abstained from. So even in our fasting and prayer, we can become distracted. The strength of our fast is based on what we're giving our focus and our attention to. And you will find that as you fast for those first couple days, your focus will be on what you are withdrawing from. But I hope there's a transition that takes place where you go from what you are being with, uh, removed from to the person that you're supposed to be focusing on and giving your attention to. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. Have you ever been spending time with your kids, but the whole time that you are with them, you are more focused on what you aren't doing rather than the person that's right in front of you? This is what fasting and prayer can become. You can be so focused on the things that you are missing out on instead of the one who's supposed to be right in front of you. So Paul in Philippians, he got it. He, under, it, it, he, he echoes the sentiment and the goal and purpose of prayer and fasting when he says this, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. This is what fasting is about. It's about gaining Christ, not what we're denying ourselves of. It's gaining him. 
The goal of the fasting and prayer is him. Not what we're just abstaining from. It's him because he's the treasure. I believe this, that as we pursue Jesus in this fast, we will discover that everything that we are denying ourselves of will eventually pale in comparison to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. I believe it. I believe that as we do this, there's something that happens. A couple years ago, we had a 24 hours of prayer. And, and leading up to it, I was hesitant. Didn't really want to, you know, give it up. But I was willing. You know what? I'm going to do this. But can I tell you that the moment I arrived in the sanctuary at 11 or midnight, whenever it was, and as I'm praying, you know what comes over my soul? This is no sacrifice. Because the moment you actually commit to it, there's a transformation that happens in the heart of the person where you realize the thing you gave up doesn't even pay, it pales in comparison to the one that you are communing with. It's like it doesn't matter. Food? Whatever it may be, it pales in comparison to what you gain when you're focusing on him. So let's talk about fasting. What is fasting? We're going to get into the whys and the hows. But what, what is fasting? Fasting is simply the voluntary denial of something for spiritual purposes. The voluntary. No one is forcing you to fast. Matter of fact, we're, making, we're doing this 21 days of corporate and fast, prayer and fasting. I would hope that you would, you would join us, but no one's forcing you to do this. A forced fast is religious. That will not produce any fruit inside of you. It's a voluntary thing. It's you choosing. This is what I'm giving up, God. This is what I'm giving up. And this is, this is how I'm going to give this up. And then I'm going to spend time with you as I'm giving that thing up. It's the voluntary denial of something for spiritual purpose. Traditionally, it's the removal of food. Matter of fact, most scripture references fasting being the denying or the removal of food. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But one of the things that you'll need to understand about a time like this, that if you are going to be on the other end of 21 days of prayer and fasting and feel like this was a really meaningful adventure, one of the things that you will have to understand about doing this is that it requires your time. It's not something you can add to what you're already doing. It won't work. I'm just telling you, it won't work. You can't add it. Something has to be removed. Something has to be taken out. So if you're fasting food and you're fasting all day, well, obviously you've got moments throughout the day where you would normally eat. And so now you're filling that with time spending at his feet. If it's your phone and social media, I mean, you can look up right now on your phone how many hours a day you are on social media. Look at that. If it's like most people, it's six hours. You got six hours to spend with Jesus now. And by the way, let me, just, let me just tell you this. Let's not even get religious in that venture where we're boasting about how long we spent time with Jesus because you're missing the point. Let's take the time because it's about what is happening on the inside of your heart. Not about boasting and how long. And, and the degree of the sacrifice, so you feel more spiritually superior. It's about what, can I tell you, 
let's just add this. As we embark on this, I hope that if you haven't decided yet and you're still figuring it out, I hope that you would ask Jesus what he wants you to sacrifice. Here's why. Because Jesus knows what he needs to target more than we do. And when you commit a fast to Jesus and you ask him, what are you after? And you sense the direction of the Lord, then you will find that it's because of, it's for his purposes to shape and mold you, not the other way around. A lot of times when we're like, I'll give this, we're missing what God is after, which is our heart. And so fasting is the simple voluntary denial of something. It's going to take our time, energy, and our focus. But let's talk about why we fast. And there are hundreds of reasons why we fast, but I just narrowed it down to three. The first is this, fasting ministers to Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Fasting ministers to Jesus. Y'all are quiet in here like we lost to Georgia last week. Fasting ministers to Jesus. I want you to notice what it says here in Acts chapter 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm reading for the New American Standard. It says this, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart for me, uh, Holy, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called him. By the way, this is such a significant moment in the history of the church because this was the first release of apostles for a missionary journey. And I want you to see the sincerity and their, uh, of their devotion to the Lord that they would not make that decision unless they were fasting. Because they needed God to speak clearly about what the assignment was and who was to go. And it says that they were gathered together, they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. How did the apostles choose to minister to the Lord? In fasting. This is what John, uh, Derek Prince says. It was not that they were ministering to the Lord and also fasting. Their ministry to the Lord was directly connected to their fasting. They were one and the same. They were joined together. And I believe that Paul was a part of this. And I believe that the reason why they came to this conclusion that let's fast as a means of ministering to the heart of the Lord, we see that that revelation is also shared later in a place that we don't necessarily directly connect those dots. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I love hearing the scripture, the pages turn. This is Paul speaking. What does Paul say? He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. That's fasting. As a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, now, once again, they were ministering to the Lord through prayer or through, they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, 1, which is acceptable, God, which is your spiritual service of what? Worship. So 
presenting your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord is ministry to Jesus. It's ministering to his heart. You know why? Because God didn't have to choose us and we don't have to choose him. But when we embark on a fast where we say, I could choose this, but I'm choosing you. That's what happens. It's worship, it's adoration to the Lord, it's pleasing to him to see that we are willing to give up this so that we can have him. When we're fasting, I wanna encourage you with this. And as, as, as I said earlier, give up something that costs you something. Give up something that costs you something. <laughs> Some people are like, I'm giving up social media. You don't even have any social media profiles. <laughs> Give him something that costs you something. Let me just take it a step further. Give him the thing that has often been where you go with your emotions. Give him the thing that you self-medicate with. We all, with a blanket statement, love Jesus. Amen? Amen. I mean, you wouldn't be here if you didn't love him. But what do you love along with Jesus that you're willing to give him? <laughs> Some people are like, I don't have a great relationship with my life. I'm just going to abstain from my wife. <laughs> no. Because some of y'all be thinking, really? <laughs> How can I get around this? That's not the goal. Okay? The goal is, what do you love a lot? Give him that. Let me tell you, your boy here loves food. Loves me some food. So my heart is, my heart is, God, I don't want to love these food in the moments when I should be going to you instead of here to self-medicate. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Somebody in the room was really upset because they were like, dang, I got to give up steak. <laughs> what do you love? that competes with Jesus in your heart that you can give him. Fasting ministers to Jesus. Here's the second thing. Fasting removes pride because it makes us humble. Fasting removes pride because it makes us humble. On this topic, Derek Prince said this, I love this. He said, fasting is a God-appointed way to humble ourselves. The single greatest barrier, this is his words, the single greatest barrier to getting an answer to our prayers is pride. Therefore, anything that will get that barrier out of the way will facilitate the answer to our prayers. We know pride was the original sin. We know that God hates pride. We know that scripture says God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. How can God answer our prayers when pride is, is present? They can't coexist. So fasting removes pride because it makes us humble. Here's why fasting removes pride. Because pride is most often manifested in our independence. And fasting cultivates the opposite of that, which is a dependence upon God. And dependence on God always produces humility because it forces you to recognize that you cannot do this without God's help. I hope in your fast you get to points where you can't do it without God's help. Because the moment you come to that conclusion, humility has entered your heart because you no longer believe you can do it on your own. Fasting produces a, 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 a humility. Do you know that God is drawn to humility? He's attracted to humility. See, Jesus said this in John 15, abide in me, because apart from me, you can do what? Fasting is abiding. Fasting is a way that we abide in Jesus. It's a voluntary way that says, as Moses said, I don't want to go anywhere where your presence is not. But it's also, I don't want to try to continue in my life in this course without relying on you, without depending upon you. So I'm removing certain things. I'm fasting because I want to become someone humble. By the way, Derek Prince goes on to say this, humiliation is something that God can do, but hum being humble is a choice that you can make. Which one do you want? You don't want the alternative. Pride comes before the fall. You don't want God to humiliate you. He would rather you make the choice to humble yourselves before him, as Peter says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that you be exalted. The upside down of the kingdom is that when you humble yourself, you get exalted, rather being exalting yourself and you get humiliated. It's one or the other. And pride is removed in fasting because it makes us humble. Listen to what King David said, one who was called a man after God's own heart, Aaron. Listen to what he said in Psalms 35. He said, I humbled my soul with fasting. I humbled my soul with fasting. And by the way, let me tell you the context of this. Those, you know how almost every psalm, David is lamenting about people that are trying to kill him. In Psalm 35, here's the context. People are trying to kill him, and God called him to pray for his enemies. And he said, I cannot pray for my enemies until I humble my soul through fasting, which would produce a humility for me to love them even though they're after me. He said, I humbled my soul through fasting. In other words, this is what fasting does. It tempers the impulses of your mind, your will, and your emotions. I've never gone through a fast. I've never actually seen someone who has gone through a fast the way that we're supposed to do it that has not been humbled and seen their emotions and their impulses tempered. Because you're starving, you're starving the thing that has so often been running your life. 
It tempers your impulses, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Lastly, we see this in 1 Peter 5, 5, how pride is removed and how humility is so beneficial for our spiritual life. Clothe yourselves with humility, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's why humility matters so much. There is no spiritual breakthrough without grace. And God does not give grace to the proud. He only releases grace to the humble because he needs to know that when he moves in miraculous ways, you won't take the credit for it. He needs to know that when he moves, that your heart is unmoved and, and unexalted when he does something supernatural in your life. He only gives grace to the humble. By the way, fasting is not something that you only have to do when leadership or pastors say we're going to do a corporate thing. This is a part, as Pastor Dwight said, Jesus said, when you fast. He wasn't talking to just Jews. He was talking to people that were going to follow him for the rest of your life when you fast. You know why? Because our soul constantly needs to be tempered. It constantly needs to be trained. It constantly needs a dose of, of humble pie. And fasting produces that in the heart of a person. So fasting removes pride because it makes us humble. Breakthrough and pride cannot coexist. Humility before Jesus is the pathway for breakthrough. And here's my last point before we get into how to fast. And this one's so good. Fasting can release a measure of our spiritual inheritance which hasn't manifested yet. And I stress yet, because we've all seen measures of breakthrough and we've all seen measures of the manifestation of the Spirit, but I'm telling you that fasting can release a measure of our spiritual inheritance that we have not manifested. I know this to be true. You know, Pastor Dwight, I've had conversations just recently with people about why do miracles happen in other places? Why do we see this? You know why? Because there's a whole lot of preparation going into those trips of fasting and getting on your knees saying, we can't do this without the, the dependence of the Holy Spirit. But we don't do that on a daily basis here. That's why in one, one sense, one of the reasons why we don't see a lot of breakthrough, because there is no hunger. And what we, what's so easy is when God moves sovereignly. That's so easy. And what we often craft our prayers is for God to move sovereignly. But I love the saints of old. I love Smith Wigglesworth when he said, if the spirit isn't moving, I move the spirit. How do you come to that conclusion? Because that was not a man that would go an hour without stopping wherever he was to get on his knees before the Lord and commune with him. When we become a hungry people that is unsatisfied with the status quo spirituality, I'm telling you, you will see stuff happen. Because you will fast, not because someone said, hey, we're doing this thing. You'll fast because you want more. The reason why we're fasting for 21 days is not because every other church is doing it. It's because there is a cry in our leadership team that says there is more for Redeemer's Church. There's more than what you've already experienced. There will be days that will come that the saints in this room that experience supernatural means of God will no longer look back to recollect, but they will stand in all of what God is doing right now. 
but you have to go after it. And you, you, know, you know what? You know the, the greatest way to cultivate hunger? Get hungry. Hunger cultivates hunger. Fasting can release a measure of our spiritual inheritance, which hasn't manifested yet. We see this in the life of Jesus. So in Luke 3, we see that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is on Jesus. This is Jesus' baptism. And then in Luke 4, 14, we see that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happened between Luke 3 and Luke 4, 14 for him to go from Jesus having the Holy Spirit on him to now Jesus full of the power of the Holy Spirit? You know what happened there? Fasting. And do you know it's interesting because after he is baptized by John and the Holy Spirit descends upon him, interesting enough, the next verse says, and the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. Why? Because you have inheritance, but you don't have power yet. The practice of practicing what happened between Luke 3 and Luke 14, I believe is one of the sources of our power in this day. We get satisfied with Luke 3, but we need Luke 4. We get satisfied with the Holy Spirit on us. Matter of fact, the charismatic church is known for a church that has the Holy Spirit, the baptism. It's about pursuing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling. But Luke 4 is about the overflow. And fasting was what, in God's sovereignty, he called Jesus, the Son of God, to do so that he could become Luke 4. So we see this here. It was fasting because fasting releases a measure of our spiritual inheritance. Now, how does that take place? We see this in Matthew chapter 6. Go there with me to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm just going uh, to linger here for a minute and then we're going to get into the hows. Matthew chapter 6. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Awesome. Six people. Praise God. Matthew chapter 6. 16 through 18. This is the Sermon on the Mount. As you know, thousands of people are listening to this. Jesus is speaking. And he just got done with talking about when you pray. Because we are people of prayer. When you pray, pray, and then he gets into when you fast. In Matthew chapter 6, 16 through 18, he says, Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. By the way, your fast has a direction. You're not fasting horizontally. You're fasting vertically. You're fasting to the Father, not to everybody else. I love what everybody else is giving up, but I don't really need to know. Because who are we fasting to? We're fasting to him. We're not fasting to other people. He said, when you fast, you do this. You don't go about putting on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men. So during, hey, you know what this means? 
God allows us to be fake for 21 days. <laughs> Some of y'all coming in next Sunday just hungry. How you doing? I'm amazing. This is incredible. The joy of the Lord is my strength. But he said, don't, don't come in here like, oh, it was a rough week. Why? I can't tell you about it. But you know. He said, don't put gloom on because you're wanting to impress people. He said, truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. If you cannot do anything in your spiritual life in secret, you lack spiritual intimacy. It's not supposed to be all corporate. And Jesus is saying here, go behind closed doors and get on your knees in front of your father who is in secret. And it goes on to say, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. That's what my Bible says. And your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you openly. What's done in secret, secret will reward you openly. Now, now, how did I come to the conclusion that fasting releases a spiritual inheritance that necessarily ha does not necessarily manifest yet because of this word reward here that was used, that was specifically used to translate what Jesus was communicating at that time. You know what this word reward means? The release of that which is promised to you under oath. We have scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture of our spiritual inheritance in Jesus. But this is what Jesus says. When you fast unto the Father in secret, he will reward you openly with that which was promised to you under oath. Are we sons and daughters or not? But there needs to be a mechanism that is used to withdraw from the inheritance that we have. Fasting is one of the mechanisms. It goes on. This is a second point to it. The Greek word reward here means this, to cause the flow of that which has been otherwise confined. Restricted. To cause the flow of that which has been restricted. I'm just telling you that fasting brings breakthrough in places that we haven't seen it yet. I'm just telling you. The other day, I was in my house and I was, um, we had a, a problem with uh, our water line to our fridge where it wasn't dispensing any water. And so a technician came in and he said, you know, I would recommend, like all technicians, hey, I'm just going to diagnose it. I won't fix it right now, but go ahead. If you want to do that, you can, but it's, it's 95 bucks. So you can, right? They just bill you and just, they diagnose it, but they don't fix it at the time. Anyways, unless you're with Donnie's company. Um, <laughs> but I just wanted to, you know, put that disclaimer in there. But anyways, so the guy's like, you know what? It's probably your water line. So you need to, to, to uh, repair the water line. And so uh, I went in and I'm, I'm up in my ceiling in my basement and I uh, basically shut off the existing line. I tapped a new line and sure enough, there was a strong flow from that new tapping of the line. This is what fasting does. 
Fasting removes all of the spiritual debris inside of you to tap into the inheritance that's already inside of you that just has a low flow. This is what it does. Because fasting produces humility. It gets you out of the way. And if God in the Holy Spirit said, Jesus, your humanity needs to get out of the way for you to step into power, then how much more does our humanity need to get out of the way to step and walk in the power that he has for us? There's an inheritance that we have, but the Father will reward us openly with the inheritance when everything that is inside of us gets out of the way. Fasting does it. Causes the flow of that which has been otherwise confined. Jesus was the Messiah, but he could not do what the Messiah did until he fasted unto the Father to be able to withdraw from his account what was rightfully his. And by the way, this is why I believe in Matthew 17, Jesus goes on to say, some things only come out by prayer and fasting. You know what the problem was? is the disciples had been sent out and they came across some demon-possessed people that they could not get the demon out of. And he said, some things only come out by prayer and fasting. I believe there was a duplicity to that statement that one, those demons will not come out until you have an authority, but also when you pray and fast, there will be something that is coming out on the inside of you that comes out of you that causes that thing to listen to you. Some things only come out through prayer and fasting, it's because when you do it unto the Father, he will reward you openly with, with the desire of your heart. And that's another thing that fasting does. It makes the desires of your heart become his heart. So why Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, said, I believe the power of fasting as it relates to prayer is the spiritual atomic bomb that our Lord has given us to destroy the strongholds of evil and usher in great revival and spiritual harvest around the world. The, the atomic bomb. Hmm. As I was uh, just preparing this morning, isn't it interesting <laughs> this is why fasting is so hard, guys. Isn't it interesting that the, the enemy only showed up with Jesus at one place? In the wilderness when he was fasting. To try to get him to be distracted. Because he knew that when he completes this thing, there is no stopping him. So I need to show up in the middle I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, four, four common types of fasting. Number one, these are four common types, super practical. The selective fast, selective fasting. Selective fasting is removing certain foods or elements from your diet. It, it's just, it's, it's going without sugar for 21 days or, you know, going out with, without carbohydrates or, you know, fasting steak or fasting, whatever. It's just removing specific or certain elements from your diet. Number two, and by the way, that's, that's, we see that in the Daniel fast in, in Daniel chapter 1, verses 5 through 20, where to show how he is separate and how God will provide for him. By the way, that's one of the things that fasting does, is you, feel, you realize that all those things that you thought you need, you don't need because Jesus is the source. And so 
uh, in Daniel 1.5, he's fasting Babylon. They want him to eat all of the king's meat. And he says, nope, if you'll just give me vegetables and water, you will find that when I fast unto my father, I will be stronger than the men that have your, that have your dinner every single day. And they came to find that out. It's, it's a selective fast. Daniel 1. Number two, a complete fast, removing all food and drinking liquids only. This could only be water or light juices as well. But this is, this is, a, a, this is the Jesus fast, 40 days. Uh, that Jesus did this on water alone, which is quite profound. By the way, there's amazing healing benefits to fasting, if you don't know this. It's proven in science. People actually heal chronic illnesses from fasting because it gets everything out of the way. It detoxifies you. If that's found to be proven in, in science physically, how much more in the spirit? Do you know what's going to happen? If you fast, this is what's going to happen. You're going to find that you are way more sensitive to the things that you've been watching and listening to. You're going to find, you're going to find it out because you've been, you're detoxing. Desensitizing happens without you even knowing it. And you will find, whoa, man, I was watching that. I can't even believe I was watching that. You get desensitized. Fasting detoxes you. Number three, partial fast. This is... Uh, a lot of times this is also called a Jewish fast. It's, a, uh, it's, it's, it's abstaining from eating food for certain times throughout the day. A lot of times Jews and even uh, Muslims will, will eat before sunrise and then they'll eat again at, at sundown. This is that type of, it's a partial fast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat only in certain times throughout the day but not eat all, 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 all the time. Number four, soul fast. This is where you're removing anything from your life besides food. So you're not watching TV or you're not watching, uh, you're not on social media. Uh, you're, you're not on your phones. You, you, you're on your phones because you need your job, but the moment you get home, you put your phone away and you're, you're done with it for the, for the day. But once again, let's just talk about this. Fasting is not a hunger strike and it's not to prove something to God where you're depriving yourself from him. But the goal is to gain Jesus. So you're taking those times where you would do other stuff and you're dedicated it, dedicating it to spending time with him. So we fast because fasting ministers to Jesus. We fast because it removes pride because it makes us humble. And we fast because it releases a measure of our spiritual inheritance, which hasn't manifested yet. And as we close, I'm going to read one more scripture, if you'll stand with me. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Mary, this is the same Mary, by the way, that was found at Jesus' feet. In John chapter 12, it says, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her sacrifice. The Judas, though, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? And he said this because he was, he was not concerned from the poor, but because it, he was a thief. And, he, and as he, uh, he had the money box, he used to pilfer it and what was um, put into it. And Jesus said, Let her alone. 
so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Here's the point. People are not going to understand why you are removing things from your life. And the enemy will come against you and say that what you're doing in this fast is a waste of your time. It's a waste. Judas comes towards Mary and says, that could, that could be used for something else. In other words, you're wasting what you're doing. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to tell your people that this is not a wasted venture. This is not a waste of your time. Because as you see, it says that the fragrance of Mary's sacrifice filled the house of the Lord. And I believe that as we do this, as we choose to consecrate this time, not only are you going, you are going to fill your house with the fragrance of your sacrifice, but this house is going to be filled with the fragrance of your sacrifices. It is pleasing unto the Lord. And this is no waste of your time. And wouldn't it be the enemy speaking through Judas to try to discourage the sacrifice that Mary was pouring out at the feet of Jesus. The fast that we are going to, to embark on, this is a sacrifice that is, that is favorable to the Lord, it's pleasing to the Lord, and it will not be a waste of your time. Amen? Amen. Will you join me as we pray? Because I just want to pray for strength. I want to pray for grace. I want to pray for encouragement as you embark on this. And let me tell you something. In the middle of it, if you're discouraged, reach out. You don't have to be totally secretive, but reach out. Hey, I'm in the middle of what I'm committing to the Lord. I could use some encouragement. I could use some prayer. So Father, we just pray over every single person in our congregation this morning. Father, every person that is watching online that wasn't able to make it today, but Father is going to set this time apart that they may gain you, that they may sit at your feet, holding on to everything that you would speak. And God, I just pray that this would be a time of supernatural manifestation. It would be a time where you move mightily, where you do things, God, in us and through us that cause us to stay, stand in awe and wonder. Father, I pray it would be a time where you cultivate a hunger, Father, inside of us that for some of us that ha we haven't had in a long time. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would pour out your spirit on what we're doing, that you would honor us, God, as we honor you. God, we thank you for the honor and the privilege to sit at your feet, to dedicate this time to you, God. I pray that you would purify our hearts I pray that you would remove pride. God, I pray that hum humility would be cultivated inside of us, God. I pray that you would be ministered to in this time, Lord. And I pray that this fast would launch us and accelerate us in the days ahead. God, I even pray that this fast would unlock fulfillments of prophetic words that have not happened yet, that call, uh, callings and giftings that have died, things that are inside of us that have uh, been squelched by the cares of the wor world that have choked the word out. But Father, I pray as we fast, those things would be brought to the surface. And God, I pray that we would become dissatisfied with the status quo. But God, that this, this would cultivate such a hunger and thirst thirst for you, God, that we would be filled and we will see the goodness of the Lord in our church in 2023, in the land of the living, everywhere we go, God, I pray we would sense your presence, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 We love you. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Remember, Monday through Thursday, 12 to 1, we're open for prayer if you want to come.
God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.